so that we can go to the Lord and pray. Father God, we thank you. You are so awesome in this place today. We thank you, Father, for just meeting us right where we are in each and every one of our places of need. And even as we transition in service, Lord, we thank you that we continue to worship you. We worship you in how we will hear. We worship you even thinking and making decisions of how we will respond to the word that's been given. We submit and we surrender and we just declare that you are sovereign over it all. God, you are so good. And you are truly worthy of all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor. And so even I submit myself to you, Lord. That whatever I might have planned, Father, I thank you even now that your plans reign supreme. And so, Father, just have your way in this service today. We love you, we honor you, and we say this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. So, happy Sunday. I don't know who won today, but you know, me. Oh my goodness. You know, me and Miss Happy have an ongoing competition of who can say happy Sunday first. So today is October. It's the first, it's, um, and it's interesting because when I think of October, I always think of orange. Maybe because, you know, people all of a sudden start talking about pumpkin spice lattes that I do not like. I've tried it, just not my thing. But it's also a time in the season that we associate with the harvest, especially in this part of the country, because it's a time where people start thinking about apple picking. I think I overheard, I think it was Stephanie, but last week she was like, oh, I want to go apple picking. And I was like, wow, because you start when something about October comes and you start thinking about hay rides and things like that. And so Pastor Jamal, so just for FYI, if you're first-time visitors, he is not here today. <laughs> so if you came all the way here, my bad. But he is, you know, always ministering and uplifting and serving in the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. No matter where he is. But um, he kind of let us, he, as he's been preparing us and as he's been ministering to us these, you know, over the course of the year, he's been kind of leading up to this moment where he wanted to talk about harvest or the season of harvest, but we understand that before we can talk about the seasons of harvesting, we have to talk about the seed. And we have to talk about sowing. We can't run and race to the harvest without talking about the seed. So if I had to title this message, the title of this message is, Are You Ready to Die Today? I know. So some of you may be encouraged. Others of you may feel convicted. Some of you may feel nothing because you're thinking about brunch afterwards. So wherever this message lands, I pray it lands somewhere. So I'll be reading from the book of John in the NIV version, chapter 12, verses 20 through 26. And to bring some context into this portion of scripture, what happens is, is that up until this point, Jesus has been engaging in public ministry. He's kind of been out on these, what I would call these mean streets, 
of Galilee and Jerusalem. He's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. He's feeding 5,000 people. He's feeding 4,000 people. He's kind of running up against the establishment when it comes to the Pharisees. He's declaring he's the Lord over the Sabbath. And he's pretty much has built this, this, this sense of tension around the fact that he's challenging everything that the Jewish people had established as sacred to them. He comes in and says, I'm actually greater than all of these things. And it was a lot because the Pharisees were actually almost responsible for keeping the law and keeping the Jewish practice, especially because they would come against the Romans who were trying to kind of say, well, your religion is cool, but, you know, we're in charge now. So Jesus is right now, we're talking about this, is right after he's, ent he's entered into Jerusalem and he's entering into what we would call the Passion Week, his last week of ministry. And so in the book of John, book of John, he records this interaction and it goes, the mentions of Greek, oh, sorry, it goes, now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. And the interesting thing about this, where it says these Greeks have come up to worship against it at this festival, is that it was likely that Greeks were there who feared God, but for whatever reason, they decided and they would come to the festival and the festival was about the Passover festival. So you have Greeks coming into Jerusalem to worship at the festival. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethesda in Galilee, with a request. He said, sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replies, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. So today I want to take you guys through three questions. The first question is, what is the seed? The second question is, what is required to sow the seed? The third, what gets in the way? So what is the seed? What is required to sow the seed? And what gets in the way? And I look to try and do this all through those verses that we just read. So let's go back again. So what is the seed? To kind of once again give it context, when they, the Greeks come and they're coming to worship, and the interesting thing about the Greeks coming to worship is that it symbolized something for Jesus because something about the Greeks coming to worship God but seeking Jesus symbolized a change and a shift. Because we have to remember up until this point, nobody was looking to go to God through Jesus. And so what we have is Jesus saying, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Up until then, the hour had not come. If you were to go back in chapter 7, the Pharisees tried to seize him. They said, it's not my time yet. You go back further any other time, he's like, it's not my time yet. If you were to go through the book of Mark, in the book of Mark, he, every time he heals somebody, he's like, no, 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 don't say nothing yet. So all of a sudden, something about this interaction with the Greeks coming to say, I want to talk to Jesus, says, he responds, the hour, of, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And funny enough, he didn't even answer the question about whether or not he can see the Greeks. 
which I think is hilarious, because I'm like, they didn't even, you didn't even say you're going to see them or not. <laughs> and so Jesus replied, the hour, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And he says, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. When you see the word unless, you have to begin to think of it as something about what's about to happen next cannot happen unless you do this one thing. You see unless, and because now you're like, all right, so if you're saying unless this happened, this other thing won't. He said, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. So what Jesus is internally is, is doing is he's saying that right now, Jesus, he is the seed. He likens his death and his resurrection, and he compares it to a kernel of grain. So give you an idea about a kernel of grain. A kernel of grain is used would be what we would consider a wheat seed. That wheat seed would be taken, it would be planted into the ground, it would, it would have roots and it would kind of sprout up. Once it sprouts up, it sprouts up into a head. Inside the head, there's about 50 seeds. You would then take the seeds, you would grind it up, it would become flour, and all of a sudden you can break bread. So this would make sense to them in the sense of what it was. So Jesus uses a kernel of wheat to illustrate his death and his resurrection. But he not only does it to say that he illustrates his death and resurrection, but up until this point, you have to remember it's a willingness to die. This entire time, Jesus knows he's going to die. And so one of the principles that kind of came out with this is that death is necessary for the harvest. I'll say that one more time. Death is necessary for the harvest. The only way the wheat can grow is if the seed first dies. Jesus is the seed. The only way that he can bear fruit is that he first has to die. Remember the title of the message because not that we're seeds in the sense that we have to physically die, but I'm sure if we look introspectively into our lives, it probably portions of our lives that need to be buried. So I ask the question again, are you ready to die today? So that was the answer, right? So we have, what is the seed? Jesus is the seed. And you might be like, well, Lisa, how, you know, when you start thinking about seed, you start thinking about, you know, me sow a seed of money. I'm going to sow my time. I want to reap all these things. But the one thing that I realize in what this passage of Scripture ministered to me is that I can have all the harvest in the world, but if I do it outside of the context of my relationship with God, it really means nothing. So today is really a heart check. It's, it's, today is a time to say, before we go into seed sowing and cultivating and reaping, what is the position of our heart? Because the position of our heart will even determine the type of seed we'd like to sow. So now what is required to sow the seed? The first thing is faith. And it's funny because Minister Aaron, it's funny how, you know, God will use somebody else to confirm a word because you're just like, is this what I should be talking about today? And it's funny because when Minister Aaron talks about, he said the faith was not for the faint or the weak at heart. Because when I think about Jesus, the one thing Jesus, not only did he trust God with his life, but he even trusted God in his death. 
And the thing about faith is you have to be confident that the very thing that you hope for, the resurrection, will actually happen. You have to be assured that the very things that you cannot see, you have to be confident that they're there. And when it comes to Jesus, you have to remember on this journey, in the beginning, he said, it's not my time yet, but now is the time. It has to take faith, because if you knew about the impending death, I don't know about you, but I might want to hurry this process along. But Jesus the whole time is like, no, not my time yet. No, 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 not my time yet. No, no, don't say nothing, because it's not my time yet. But something about the Greeks comes. He's like, no, the hour of glory, the hour has come for me to be glorified. Talk about faith. So what does it require to sow the seed? And so the first thing I'm going to say is faith. The ability to entrust. The interesting thing about John is the Greek word for believe shows up 98 times in the book of John. So concerned is he that we know that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that he's concerned that we believe in him so that we can have eternal life. He's concerned with our ability to entrust our lives to Jesus and to God. So if faith is required for Jesus to sow, then faith is required for us. We have to believe in the things cannot see. We have to be assured. We have to say, you know what, although I don't know what tomorrow holds, I have faith in the one who's in control. So we have faith. The next one, we're going to go back to the scripture. Verse 25, anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And that passage of scripture always challenged me. Because what in the world is hating my life in this world look like? What is life in this world look like? Because technically we're in the world and we're living. So I have to, and Jesus doesn't give an explanation. John doesn't record an explanation here, but John is gracious. God is gracious because if you were to keep reading in John's letters, 1 John chapter 2 verses 15 through 16 says this, when it comes to the world, he goes, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not love the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. And another translation is lust for the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. So here it is, Jesus says, anyone who loves their life will lose it, but anyone who hates their life in the world, anyone who hates their life when it comes to a life that is dictated by your physical pleasures, satisfying those, satisfying the craving what we see with our eyes, or making decisions because we want to satisfy and we want to boast in our success and our achievements. He says hate it. And hate is such a strong word to me. We go around saying, don't hate on nobody. My hate is this, my hate is that. And the thing about the word hate is that he could have said, you know, don't like your life in this world. And again, these are translations, but the translation could have said, you know, kind of like put that life to the side. But it's a strong word because it has profound and ongoing meaning. 
Because if you were to put aside your personal desires, something about that turns into a life that lasts eternally. Something about setting aside and hating your life in this world will turn into or produce eternal life. And the reason why I hate, I love it, because I don't know about you, but on top of pumpkin spice lattes, I hate Brussels sprouts. <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> nothing good comes from Brussels sprouts in my world, it's nothing. I've had the best cooks try and make it for me. Nah, girl, let me show you this recipe. No, it's this bitter scenario that happens when you bite into a Brussels sprout. I hate it. So much so that if I see it, I immediately turn my back to it. Imagine if that's how we felt about how we looked at life. That when all of a sudden, you know, those cravings, like first of all, every time I go to Instagram, I somehow have to die into myself. Because every time I'm looking, I'm looking at things like, oh, I want that. Oh, that looks good. But imagine if the words and the feelings were so strong that every time that came, somehow I was able to set aside my personal desires and say, I hate that. And so something what Jesus is trying to show us is that one of the things that is required to sow the seed is sacrifice. We need faith. We need the ability and the willingness to sacrifice. It's interesting because here's this, I'm gonna give you a really, uh, really short story. There's a lady named Stephanie. Again, it's the story that was told to me. I don't know if her real name is Stephanie. Not Stephanie, Bernard. Her name is Stephanie. It's back in the day, she's at an art show. She's at an art show and she's an, art, she's an artist in the sense that she went, she got her master's in art. So she's at this place and she sees this Picasso, right? And the, the owner of the store is like, no, 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 that's not a real Picasso. Right? He's like, no, she's looking at it, but I'm noticing the strokes, I'm seeing the way the name is signed. I kind of think that's a real Picasso. But even though it was an imitation of Picasso, the charge was $60,000 for the painting. Right? But imagine if it's a real Picasso. It's worth far more. So Stephanie has a decision to make. Because all she had in life was $60,000. Do you give up the $60,000 for a painting that you think is a Picasso? Well, here's the end of the story. The end of the story is that later on, the Picasso sold for $100 million. Who would you be in this story? Would you be willing to make the sacrifice? Because you believe that what you will receive in return was far more greater. You know, when a rich man comes to Jesus and he says, you know, how do I get kind of into the kingdom of God? He's like, obey the commandments. He's like, no, I obey the commandments. He said, all right, cool. Sell all your riches and give to the poor. He walked away sad. Jesus then says, well, it's harder for a man than to, he goes, it's harder for a man to enter into the kingdom of God than it, as it is for a camel to enter into the eye of a needle. How hard is it for us as Christians to sacrifice? To look at our lives and say, is there something in my life that I can give up? Is there something that I can let go of in return because I believe that God has something much greater in store? Yes. Jesus was willing to make the sacrifice. He was willing to lay down his life. He was willing to be the seed that would, be die, would die and be buried. Trusting God not only in his life but in his death because he believed that he would be resurrected and in that resurrection, not only would his life 
be a lie, he would be a lie, but also he would produce and give an avenue for life for the rest of us. See, there's something about this pattern when you're looking at the scripture, because there's death and then there's life. Somehow death produces life. And it's interesting because it's kind of contrary to the way the world thinks, because in the world, who would die in order to receive something? Who would let go in order, in the world we learn to hoard all we have? That rich man could not conceptualize giving everything he had, not realizing that the relationship that he would have with Jesus would be far more greater than all of his possessions. I had to look at it and I had to say, am I the rich man? Not because... I'm a millionaire. But I had to look at it and it convicted me because I said, am I willing to give up all that I have? You know, I like where I live. I like, the, you know, my little vehicle. I like my relationships, my friendships. I like my clothes. I like my bags. I like my shoes. I like the restaurants I can go into that don't have Brussels sprouts. <laughs> But am I willing to give it all up for the sake of following God? Remember the question is today, are you willing to die? Are you willing to let go? Are you willing to make the sacrifice? Are you willing, the third thing is faith sacrifice, are you willing to relinquish control? Because when Jesus was in the grave, he, there's not, I mean, he's dead. There's nothing he can do at this moment but trust the Father. When you die unto self, at some point you have to relinquish control. There's nothing you can do but trust the Father. There are relationships that you have in your life right now that aspects of that relationship need to be buried. And in order for you to bury it, you have to have faith in the God that you serve. You have to be willing to sacrifice the way the relationship is set up right now. And you have to be willing to relinquish control and say, you know what, God, I don't know, but I believe this is what you're saying for me to do. And so guess what? I'm going to do it. And I believe in you. Now, just for the married couples, that did not apply to you. <laughs> I ain't saying, you know die unto yourself, like, hey boo, it's been real, but the message said I need to leave you because I'm willing to make the sacrifice because God has something much more greater in store. That is not the message. Do not try and go back. So if you marry, you can turn to your name and go, neighbor, you just continue and stay married. <laughs> stay in your lane. This, that was for my single folk out here. <laughs> so remember the, the principle, right? Death leads to harvest, but there's a pattern when I looked at the scripture. Death appears two times in this passage of scriptures. Life, three times. Serves, two times. Death, life, death, life, serve. Death, life, death, life, and then he ends with serve. The kernel of wheat has to die, so that many seeds will be produced, that's the life. We have to hate our life, meaning that something about our life has to perish, but then we can keep it eternally, that's the new life. And then he says in the end, come follow me. So something about that says we have to be willing to die unto self so that we can follow Jesus. 
He said, whoever serves me must follow me. Wherever I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. So there's death, life, death, life, service, and we're honored by God. So my question to you today is, are you willing to die? You know the end. Death leads to life. Life leads to service. Service leads to be honored by God. So my question again, and I say it because even if, how many times, have, how many people have heard that scripture before? Anybody? Am I the... And I never thought about dying to myself before the scripture. But I kept reading it and I kept being convicted because I'm like, wow, Lisa, there's still aspects of your life that you need to die unto God for. That you need, there's still, and when the whole thing about dying, is, even that is hard to say because I have to make it practical. There are things in your life that are there because you crave them because you lust after them, because you take pride in them, and those things you have to turn your back on and bring death to that. And when you turn your back on them, they perish bringing death, but what we know is that death brings life. I'll say that one more time because I don't know if everybody was happy about that. <laughs> Turning your back, letting it perish, letting it die brings life. Is that an amen? amen. So then the question then becomes what's holding us back. So what was the seed, right? The seed is Jesus. He's still giving us an example of how we can be that seed. What is required to sow the seed? What was required to sow the seed is faith, sacrifice, relinquish control. I'll even add another one, submit, submitting to the process. And we're going to talk about that process. It's not for me to do. It's for the other people who come after in the weeks after this. You can turn your name and go, neighbor, if you want to hear about submitting to the process, you got to keep coming back. Neighbor, I'm going to hold you accountable to that. And I'm going to be looking for you next week. <laughs> See neighbor, right? <laughs> so what is holding you back? Last thing. What is holding you back? And I'll say it super simple, four-letter word, and the word is fear. Fear of the unknown. Fear that maybe you might have to take a different path in life. Fear that the, the, the way your relationships are set up might shift. Fear that people may turn their back on you because they don't understand what you are trying to do. You know, I had a professor ask the class, he goes, how committed are you to this walk with Jesus? And I had to say, as he's talking, tears flow down my eyes because are you committed as much even, in, even after you have to stand against adversity? And I had to say, man, Lord, I don't know. I like to think that I'm committed, yet I realize there are things that we all, like, I don't know about you, but are there things in your life that you could let go of, that you have been afraid to release? Sometimes the things you have to die to are, is your bitterness, your unwillingness to forgive and to let go. Remember, death reaps harvest, brings life, death, life, and with that life, you get to serve. We can talk about sowing, you know, that, the song that was sung today, you know, I was in it. What is it, all this crying? We've we been praying, 
we've been, so, we've been sowing, send the rain. Imagine having all the rain being sent, but you were dislocated in your relationship with God. See, this is, a, like I said before, this is a heart check. Before we can talk about harvest, we need to say what the position of your heart is because you can have all the money in the world. But you remember, if it's death, life, death, life, serve, how do you serve God with the harvest if you are dislocated in your relationship? But I understand it won't be easy. And so in the uneasiness of it, I have to leave you with some level of encouragement. And it's one of my favorite passages of scripture. I forgot to give it because I didn't know I was going to share it. But you can go to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and it says, Jesus is the example. Somebody told me that if you don't ever know what to talk about, just talk about Jesus. Something about the way that he modeled his life is an amazing model for us. Jesus says, I did not come to be served, but he said, I've come to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. If that is the model, then here's the thing. In life, we do not come to be served, but we come to serve and sacrifice our life for others. I hope you understand. Pastor Jamal said, he said, when you're praying for something, it's not just about you, but there's a bigger picture in mind. Remember, we've been leading up to this. Everything that he's been talking to us about us in this, up until this point, it was not singly about it, but it was about not just you, but you impacting community, you impacting the people in your lives. Remember, it's never just for you, but it's for others. The harvest is not just for you, it's for others. The seed you have in your hand is not just for you, it's for others. But just in case, just in case you get a little weary, the word says this, it says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The one thing about God is that when he was willing to die, he always died with the resurrection in mind. That's when we die to self and we set aside things. I pray that you always do it with a resurrection in mind. He's not calling you to live a life of hopelessness. He's always calling you to live a life with hope. Because what is the worth of your Christianity, right, if it doesn't change your character? But what is the worth of being a Christian if you don't live your life with some sort of hope? He goes, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostilities by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. So CCC, we're going on a journey. I hope to see you in the next coming weeks. And so I ask you to turn to your name and go, neighbor, are you willing to die today? Turn to another name and go, neighbor, is there some aspects of your life that you're willing to let go of today? Find another name and go, neighbor, remember, death produces life. There's no life unless you have death. So neighbor, are you willing to die?
We can close our Bibles. Amen. And in this brief moment of time, ask God, search my heart, see if there's anything inside of me. Make that personal. God, is there anything inside of me that offends you? And lead me onto the path of righteousness. Am I harboring unforgiveness? Have I been harboring it so long that it now has turned into bitterness? Have I been living a life so much of hopelessness? It says hope deferred makes the heart sick. Has your heart become sick? Are you weary today? Father, we have faith in you. We are confident that the very things that we hope for will actually happen. We are truly assured in the things that we cannot see. We make a decision today, God, to say that we are willing to make the sacrifice. We submit our lives and we say, Father, we relinquish control. For you are sovereign over it all. And Father, we ultimately submit to the process. Whatever it takes us, God, whatever you have for us to do, sensitize our hearts and minds right now so that we can live life truly from your point of view. I even pray for our relationships. That as we begin to make these decisions, if for whatever reason people seem to fall away, I pray that you would bring them new relationships, relationships that would add value and not take away, relationships that would come to encourage them along and not look to distract them. Father, we submit and we surrender. We have faith. We believe in you, God. There is none like you in all the world. So we thank you for this time today. I pray for a fresh anointing on each and every person here, that you would saturate them from the top of their heads to the soles of their feet, inside and out, Lord God. Let them have a fresh awareness of your presence in their life. Even as they take up the word to read, may it speak to them in such a way that they are able to hear, understand, and make changes. Father, you are a good God, and you are worthy of all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. We love you. And we thank you. And we say this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this is part of our service where we like to make a little declaration. This is kind of heavy and large, so I'm going to use my phone. <laughs> you know, I was working out. My arms are looking too. <laughs> so you repeat after me. This Bible, this Bible is our primary source of faith. This Bible, this Bible is our rule of conduct. This Bible creates the lens that we see life through. We never believe this place, but never God's presence. Jesus is Lord, period. We believe it, we proclaim it, and we're seeing it come to pass. Have a happy Sunday, everybody.